This episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories brought to you by Relief Factor. Pain from everyday living, exercise, or just getting older, which is starting to be the cold, sad reality that I'm living. Uh, one of the leading causes of trips to the doctor and to not sleeping well, right? Uh, it interferes with you just doing daily stuff and it can keep you from spending time with the people you like, uh, let alone the people you love. If you have everyday pain, it stands to reason you need something you can feel comfortable with taking every day. And that's why doctors have invented a 100% drug-free relief factor. Now tens of thousands of people using relief factor every day to become mostly or completely pain-free, drug-free. 100% drug-free relief factor featuring four key ingredients that each work on a different metabolic pathway to support your body's natural healing processes. Now, if you want to try it, uh, we can make it a little easier for you. Three-week quick start, retail price, 70 bucks. It's now just $19.95. Head to the link in our show notes and find out more and start your journey to a better health and less pain today with Relief Factor. Now, on to the show. Hey, you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and roll bedtime stories. What's up? We're here to talk about rumor and innuendo about your favorite bands and songs. Figure out if it's real or not. My name is Brian and the crazy guy. That's uh, that's Murdoch. Getting out and seeing real people and having that real human experience that we didn't have for a while. That was pretty messed up. Like it kind of there, but I'm sure like, you know, knowing us, like the aliens are going to come by and they're like, ha ha, we gave you the virus. This is how um, I know that you you were really cooped up. You're going camping, which is not a thing that that a Murdoch or a Brian does. Uh, we don't typically go camping in the in the true sense of the word. You're more of a glamper. I'm more of a let's yeah, stay in a hoteler, oh. uh, and you're going camping. So that with other people, which means you definitely have been starved for that human uh, uh, interaction. I was going to say affection, but hopefully you're not starving for affection. It's weird. I, I I'm I am concerned. I don't know about you or anybody else. Like. I'm trying not to think about it, but I feel a little uncomfortable being in a social setting because I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth and what's going on. Like I'm a little nervous and it's like, it's like the first day at school all over again. I, I did go to a thing where there were some people from work, uh, but it was, you know, it was a, a football game and uh, it was weird. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I did notice during, especially after long stretches of, of pure quarantine, like the pure quarantine period of like a year ago, where then we would slowly see some other people socially distanced or whatever. And I was like, man, I have forgotten how to have a conversation. It's just completely left me unless we're just talking about like doing the laundry or cooking dinner, which is the stuff we talk about in my house. Right. Um, it is, it's all gone away. Yeah. And I, I feel bad. And this is how much I miss you. Um, there'll be times I, I have this, I have a, new guy that that we're working together and he's super great he's so fantastic like sent from heaven and it's difficult sometimes because he's kind of my whole day and but we'll be talking about work or whatever and then i'll take a left turn and be like jamaica do you know that uh chris blackwell he used to work at island records yeah uh yeah they, he signed you too and uh and and Steve Lillywhite, he produced their record, and then a Dave Matthews record. It's like, I'll I'll just want to start talking about music to anyone. And I can tell I'm looking at them like I'm talking about like Dungeons and Dragons or Satan or Trump or something. Like I'm I'm just out of my head, 
uh, missing you because I don't get to have these conversations with anybody else, and they're fun. So to that point, somehow we've made it over 40 episodes, and I don't think we've ever talked about Spinal Tap on this show. Have we ever talked about Spinal Tap? Uh, maybe, but I might have forgotten. What, so what, are your, not. what are your feelings about Spinal Tap? You got any strong or otherwise? I, I, ha- I have an unpopular uh, opinion about it. I love those three individuals uh, as actors and and for their entire work sure and spinal tap spinal tap is not my favorite thing from from any of them like i I, some of the jokes are kind of funny you know and it's like it's great that like bruno kirby's in it and billy crystal's in it and i don't know like for me when i saw some kind of monster the metallica documentary i was like oh that's spinal tap and i think after (laughs) it came out they were like oh we made a spot we made spinal tap did you know that in 2002 it was deemed quote culturally historically or aesthetically significant by the library of congress and was actually selected for preservation by the national film registry so that's how highly lauded it is from a cultural standpoint and also fun fact i ran across in my research did you know that according to a 1997 interview in Spin Magazine with Aerosmith rhythm guitarist Brad Whitford, the guy yeah. that doesn't get to talk most of the time when Aerosmith no, is being interviews. interviewed, uh, he says, quote, the first time Steven saw it, meaning Spinal Tap, he didn't see any humor in it. Uh, when the film was released, <laughs> Aerosmith's most recent album, Rock in a Hard Place, actually depicted Stonehenge on the cover. <laughs> and so when he saw the movie, he did not think it was funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I have. Hey, I, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone significant in rock and roll. It was heavy metal or something. And they were talking about going down a hallway and realizing they're going down the wrong hallway, part oh, of the hallway, yeah, and you yeah, have to yeah, turn yeah. around. They're like, oh my god, this is like people don't know this is work. Like we're down somewhere, we've never been in this building, and now we're going the wrong way, and we're going to turn back around. That's a real thing. Going? Did you ever have that happen? Have I ever told you the story about the time that we purposely? I was with a with another radio guy back in my very early days of radio, and this will date me very specifically. We were uh, backstage. We'd been hanging out on the tour bus of Fountains of Wayne, um, and. Chris Conley from, not Chris Conley, Chris Conley from Saves the Day. Chris, whatever his name is, God forgive me, from uh, uh, Fountains of Wayne was trying to get rid of us for the sake of the rest of the band. And so he said, I'll walk you into the venue. And he walked us into this venue in Springfield, Missouri, through all of those corridors, and then like purposely sped up and lost us. And then didn't give us any credentials. So as soon as security (laughs) found us, we got booted back out. Because we didn't have, we didn't, we weren't allowed to be down there. Have I never told you that before? No. Oh, he was, I like to believe that it wasn't me that Chris didn't want to be around. It was this annoying guy that I worked with at the time. Um, But yeah, there was like weird pornography on that bus. It was a very weird experience. Um, And then, yeah, we got lost in the venue on purpose. But yes, it was very Spinal Tap. And I bring up Spinal Tap today uh, because our story like kind of involves them, like not really, but there's a specific scene in the film that we need to talk about for a second to, to set the scene for our story. So do you remember the the period where they're interviewing the band about all the former members, which I do think this part is hilarious because yeah. they're, you know, anytime you read an interview with a rock band, they're always like, Oh, we had this one guy. He was like, went to high school with the drummer, but then we kicked him out because he was snorting jelly beans. You know, there's always like some bizarre, crazy story. Did so you say snorting jelly beans. I'm just Man, giving you, you are... a hypothetical example. That... 
that that was an amazing example. It was very cute because I'm just saying people that like have done like tons of blow would never say snorting jelly beans. <laughs> but I will say you've made it all sound really fun. So now it's all your fault. Uh, okay, snorting jelly beans sounds amazing. So here here is there in that scene. There is this particular line, which I do believe might have been improvised, uh, that has, has kind of gone down in history. He died in a bizarre gardening accident. Yeah, it's back. It's really one of those things that was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it unsolved, really. It's best to leave it unsolved, really. I forgot bizarre gardening accident. I, I mentioned this because we're going to spend our time today discovering, is it true? that a legendary drummer from one of the biggest rock acts of the early 80s actually met his demise in an actual gardening accident eight years after this movie left theaters. It's my favorite one! (laughs) It's because we are the same person, dude. Yeah, baby, today we're talking about Toto. (laughs) I just, I forgot... I forgot everything. is. I didn't even know what was happening. I heard the piano part. I was like, oh, my God, it's hold the line. I didn't even think, oh, we're talking about really? Oh, man. So this is this is an absolutely uh, insane story. And they're like such a great band. And there is so much about this band that I think gets kind of lost and forgotten about. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to spend some time. We're going to use this as an excuse to deep dive into, into a Toto history class, because I just, I feel good about that. Uh, something I never knew about Toto, the guys in that band actually had a huge outsize effect on popular music in the 70s, because before they were playing as a unit, you know how they all started? I don't know anything about this band, and I'm just glad they're getting paid because of Rivers Cuomo, but, but right? tell me, I, I don't uh, know, yeah, so, tell me about it. So they were all session guys. Right, a like lot of Ram them jam. A lot like of them Ram would, conti- yeah. A lot of them would continue to do session work in between periods in Toto or after Toto. They were regulars on albums by Steely Dan, by Seals and Croft, by Boz Skaggs, by Sonny and Cher. In fact, forget their own hits. It's important to note that they were very present on one of the most important and influential albums of all time. What? Oh, yeah, baby. Toto. The guys in Toto played all over this. Uh Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. That's uh, right there. Jeff Picaro playing drums. No way. I just thought... I just thought that was somebody with an awesome, like, sample. So he plays on the song that Eddie Van Halen's on. Yes. So he's the drummer. While Eddie Van Halen plays guitar. Oh my gosh, he got paid. Oh wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Holy, other other members crap. of Toto made big contributions to Thriller. One of them even, and, and not Jeff Picaro, but another guy in Toto actually wrote Human Nature. Which oh, is... That's my favorite, too. I, Dude, I yeah. know. We, we Like, me too. <laughs> I was going to say, oh. which is like my favorite song on Thriller. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's... I mean, still, like, I, he's a monster, maybe. But, like, I, you know, it's like, Mama say, Mama sa, Mama kusa, Mama say. <laughs> Like, the fun parts of that record are joyous. But I love I love human nature. But back to back to Jeff Picaro, who was playing drums on Beat It. Uh, that's who we're going to okay. spend most of our time talking about today. Do you know oh my, anything about him? Oh, my God. I, I was, this is so exciting. I forgot. I can't wait to go listen to Toto after this. 
I know nothing about him and I can't believe we're going down the gardening accident thing. This is, I don't want to know. I want it to be a surprise like everybody else. It turns out that Jeff Ricaro, one of the most recorded drummers in rock history, he was in Toto, sure, but he also continued through the whole time to be a sought-after session guy. He was on Beat It. He was on other big MJ tunes, but the list of albums he played in, Mark, it it is so large that I literally ended up editing it down to only the ones that I feel like I can't not mention. And I'm leaving out tons, okay? okay? So here's a quick list. I'm going to see, just, we're going to play a game. I'm going to see if I can do this all in one breath. So if you're drinking something fun tonight, you, uh, every time I, I have to stop and breathe during this, you have to take a shot. Ready? He played on uh-huh. records by Steely Dan, Jackson Brown, Carly Simon, Hollow Notes, Diana Ross, Warren Zavon, Pink Floyd, Aretha Franklin, Peter Frampton, Bee Gees, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <gasps> Donna Summer, Elton John, Herbie Hancock, Don Henley, Lionel Richie, Paul Simon, Randy Newman. What? Chicago, Joe Walsh, Eric Clapton, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, Cher, Dire Straits, Richard Marks, Bonnie Raitt, and Rod Stewart. That's three shots? I think you got to take three shots if you're playing along on our game right now. Wow. Hey, shout out to Richard Marks. We're going to uh, make some wow. fun. fun. We, there's an episode about Richard Marks that we have. You've never heard it before. It's it's super fun. Uh, uh, Richard Marks versus and, the haters. It's it's actually in our top 10 of all time. If you uh, go way back in the archive, you'll find it. It's uh, it, yeah. it, it was it's an interesting one. It has a personal anecdote yeah. uh, of a friend of a friend of uh, Murdoch and I being involved with a Richard Marks dispute. And uh, but, wow. But, but hey, it don't mean nothing. Let's get back to Jeff playing the drums on every rock album uh, known to man. Okay, that's unbelievable. So if that's you, unbelievable, I I'm so excited to learn about this guy. Basically, this is what you can take from this: if you've ever listened to a classic hits radio station, or been in a grocery store, or barbecued at your neighbor's house, you have enjoyed Jeff Picaro's drumming. Like even if you think you've never heard of Toto, you have definitely heard this guy drum. And he wasn't just prolific. Like here's the thing: it wasn't like he was just like. Uh, all puns intended, holding the line. Like, he was great. He was a great drummer. And groundbreaking, okay? Jeff Percaro is renowned among drummers for the drum pattern that he used on a certain Toto song. Let me see if you recognize this drum beat. Oh, my God. So, iconic (laughs) opening to a song, right? So this is actually something that has gone down in history to be known as the Rosanna Shuffle. I'm not making this up. And, oh my gosh. And it's actually a combination of a couple of things that, and, and here's the great part. There is, so after this song became a huge hit, he created a video, um, he created this like, video series. He was part of a video series where like drummers and musicians explained their work. And you can go on YouTube and watch this whole thing where he explains the the Rosanna shuffle and what he did. Um, wow. And it's really, really entertaining. So I'm just going to let you... I, I, I'm going to let you hear him explain how he went about creating this for Rosanna, okay? Which became this iconic opening to the song and, and kind of helped define their career. All right, next I'd like to get into the halftime shuffle groove. This groove is one of my favorites. Some of my favorite drummers, I love hearing them play this kind of groove. Um, I used the halftime shuffle groove on the tune Rosanna, the Toto Cut. And I've been asked about that beat a lot, so I'd like to try to explain that beat at the best of my ability right now, get it clear. I stole that beat 
from listening to two records. One was Home at Last and Babylon Sisters, which is Bernard Purdy, Steely Dan Records. Another is the John Bonham on A Fool in the Rain, as Led Zeppelin tune. The Bernard Purdy thing, I like to call it the Bernard Purdy halftime shuffle, is basically this. The John Bonham beat that I copied from Fool in the Rain was something like this. Putting those two beats together, I came up with my own little kind of hybrid. I mean, it's awesome. Like, if you just want to go watch a video of this guy showing you how he does this and then walking you through step-by-step step how to actually play this on a drum set, it's a real sweet moment. But I tell you all of that to just illustrate one more time how influential this guy was. Oh, and it's hey, listen. How amazing it is, is it that a drummer tells you that okay so there's this drum beat and i copped it from these two songs well these yeah, yeah, two yeah, songs yeah. that did it and he's like okay and this is how I, and this is how i did it and uh, there there's a, there's a creative license there when you're playing percussion in the a rock band that the drummer right right but with guitar the guitar licks you steal kind of right. um there's only so many chords so we kind of run out of them at this point right but, but the other thing is that think about those two, like what a brilliant equation to make that song. And oh, man, I yeah. love John Bonham. And like, that's the, that's an amazing uh, John. Like it's totally different than all the other Led Zeppelin songs for Pete's sake. So, you know? so how did this guy become such a great drummer? Right? Well, part of it, you might be able to make an argument uh, in his bloodline. So if you look at that last name, Percaro, you're going to recognize it for a couple of reasons. Uh, there's two other Percaros in Toto, who we will talk about momentarily, his brothers. And all three of those boys were raised by their dad, Joe Percaro. Joe Percaro died at the age of 90, less than a year ago. Okay, And in his career, he played with everybody from Stan Getz to Sinatra to the Monkees. And they let him play on Toto Records. So like the three sons are recording and they're like, hey, dad, come to the studio and you can play percussion, too. Um, wow. Because the, Toto didn't just have Jeff. It had Mike Percaro and Steve Percaro in it through different periods of its history as well. Full family affair. So all of that set up. Let's talk about Toto. Are you ready for a crash course on how this whole thing happened? Yes, I do want to say if I could just intro this segment of the show. Do you ever see the Simpsons episode where Willie Nelson goes, thank you, Taco, for that tribute to Poco. But now <laughs> let's talk about Toto. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Um, okay, so uh, here we go. Toto, it's... Uh, <laughs> I was not ready for that. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's playing studio sessions in the 70s, and he keeps showing up at the same studios as other industry kid named David Page. And he's the son of Marty Page, okay? Marty Page played with Stan Kenton, Ella Fitzgerald, Buddy Rich, real jazz royalty stuff, okay? And these, these two kids, who both had jazz drummer dads, had gone to high school together. And they'd had a band then. But now, as they're getting established in the industry and they're, they're ending up in the same sessions together, they start talking about working together. They're like, you know, well, you know, kind of on, our, on our, our side business, right? Maybe we could start something on our own. So they call another buddy from high school named Steve Lukather. 
and Jeff's brother, Steve. And then they start putting together this act. And once the band comes together, David Page begins composing what's going to end up becoming the first Toto record, named Toto. Uh, according to popular myth, at the first recording session, in order to distinguish their demo tapes from all the other demo tapes that were in the studio, because they were like using borrowed time, Jeff Percaro wrote the word Toto on them. In the early 80s, the band members started telling the press that they were actually named after Toto from Wizard of Oz. So it's a little unclear, but it's thought that that was kind of a line they picked up in interviews, but actually it was just that after the completion of the first album, the band and the record didn't have a name. And so they, okay, this session guys, they run through a thing and they're like, Oh, we haven't figured out what we called ourselves. Just right. put it up. So no one, no one takes the the tape. That's crazy. So that's crazy. So David Hungate, after viewing the name on the demo tapes, explains to the group that the Latin words in Toto translate to all encompassing. And because the band members played on so many records and in so many genres, they adopted the name, Toto as their own, which sounds like really hot BS to me, but I'm willing to accept it. Uh, well, man, everybody, everybody can hire a publicist. Maybe, yeah, right. it's really, maybe it's really awesome. I don't know. Uh, so we already talked about Hold the Line. That's on that first record. They have a hit. They're off to the races. They get nominated for the Best New Artist Grammy in 1978. Did you know that? <laughs> they were actually no. nominated for a Grammy that quickly? No. So 78. Yeah. No. So right. you... Do you think they won? Let me ask you this. No, because their career continued. Right. Guess who they lost to? They lost to a group called Taste of Honey with a song yeah. called Boogie Oogie we, Oogie. Boog- oh, yeah. I know that song. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> that's new artist 1978 hits. Now, here's the crazy thing. Taste of Honey wins this. And guess who else loses? There's more than two people in that category. Also on the loser list to A Taste of Honey, Elvis Costello and the Cars. <laughs> and, so, and the Cars are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? I, I mean, maybe A Taste of Honey is like in the Disco Discount Hall of Fame. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I blame a disco hangover of sorts. I mean, it's still the 70s. Um, and yeah, to your point, but, maybe there's a curse to winning Best New Artist. You don't always want that to happen in your career. Yeah, I think Millie Vanilli is like the most famous. Hey, it's Brian Button in just to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Relief Factor. Doctors have invented a 100% drug-free Relief Factor. Tens of thousands of customers using it uh, every day to become mostly or completely pain-free. 100% drug-free. That's Relief Factor for you. Four key ingredients. They're working on different metabolic pathways. They're going to make you feel better. And you can get the Quick Start, which usually costs 70 bucks for nineteen ninety five, uh, if you use the link in our show notes. So uh, go there now and then come back because we got a whole lot more to talk about uh, right now on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. But, yeah, so they lost, which means their career trajectory, well, trajectory was awesome. It does okay. They put out a second album. They go on a big tour. Uh, they put out a third album, and it's actually a huge disappointment. But here's a, here's something really funny I learned in the research. It's a huge disappointment except for one country. One country. This album kills. Do you want to – do you have any guesses as to what country this album might have really worked in? Australia. Uh, no, Japan. And to That's this so day – 
when they tour Japan, this is the hit that everybody screams for, right? Very different than America. In America, they're screaming for Rosanna, right? Or Africa, or maybe even Hold the Line. In Japan, they love this song from the third Toto record called Goodbye, Eleanor. Jeff. I mean, this is my new favorite Toto song, man. (laughs) Japanese people know what they're doing. Absolutely. The pipes on that guy. I know. It's like Kiss and Kansas had a baby. I mean, it's just it's, unbelievable. That is that is a freaking huge pop song. Like, I, oh my god, it's it's I hilarious. Mean, that because the other you know the thing of the thing about the band is now. I mean, everybody that's getting this far, like listening to uh, this conversation, like they've been lumped together, like BTO. Like people don't know who the hell these bands are. Oh you know? yeah, it's yeah. Like, I, they it, just have like a couple of songs, and there no one. There's no way to explore the catalog because that's not what radio does like that. Well, and what's so interesting, I would encourage anyone to go and and dig around in the Toto catalog because they. I mean, you heard that list of albums they played on. These guys were hugely influential musicians who were hugely talented and very very well resourced and had so much uh, experience and so many ideas. And and they basically like could kind of afford because they were making money other places to to experiment a little bit. And so I mean they really were it, it, they were a big band for a while. We haven't even gotten to the the point in their career after this Grammy nod where we're about to get here where they actually uh, become a pretty big American hit for a while. But okay, so they've got this singer at the time, and singers become a whole thing with Toto. Um, but their first singer is this guy named Bobby Kimball. And Bobby Kimball, like roughly right after this whole, you know, Japanese stop where they get to play Goodbye Eleanor four times, um, Bobby Kimball sells cocaine to an undercover cop. That's Jeez. that's that's he's, not good. This, he's the singer in the band. And he gets tied up in court for like a while. And while this is all going on, the label is demanding performance for the fourth album. They're saying, you know, nothing's been really, really solid and, and something we could trust since the first record. We've given you a couple more. We trust you. You're session guys. We know you, you've got talent, but where's wh- when are we going to get get the hits? So the heat is on. And what do they deliver? Murdoch, they deliver Toto 4. Oh, yeah. The one with that album, the red one. Yeah. Toto 4 is the album that features three singles that reach the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The one you might not know is I Won't Hold You Back. But the other two, if you are a red-blooded American, you know Rosanna and you know Africa. Africa topped the charts in February 1983 and was a constant presence on radio around the world. But it was Rosanna that got the band that sweet redemption at the Grammy Awards. After being snubbed for Best New Artist back in 78, they go on to win six Grammy win, not get nominated for win wow. six Grammy awards, including record of the year for Rosanna, 
Album of the Year for Toto 4 and Producer of the Year. Wow. Man, so that so they came they came they needed the goods and they brought the goods. Well, to, yeah, and a lot of times you don't you don't get to that part of the story, right? They need the goods and they don't deliver. That's what seems to happen more often. I love this story because they need the goods, the pressure's on. They have got one hit in Japan and then all of a sudden they pull out the record of their career and everybody gets behind them. So fun rock and roll bedtime story, many sewed. Can we take a, a slight detour, stay in the Toto lane, but talk about something else for a second? Are we talking about Paco or Toto? Or pa- <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, we're, sure. Go, we're, let's take the detour. We're talking about who Rosanna is about. Any guesses? Oh, it's 83. It's not Rosanna Arquette, right? So that's the story, right? That's that's is that, that's the is legend. That that's, the, that's the rock and roll bedtime story is that Rosanna is about Rosanna Arquette. Because it turns out that Steve Percaro, Jeff's baby brother, was dating Rosanna Arquette during this time. So... This has persisted. No yeah, this has persisted over the years because that seems pretty obvious, right? Um, part of the reason this has persisted is because Rosanna Arquette has totally played along with it. Um, she commented in an interview once that the song was about me showing up, quote, at 4 a.m., bringing them juice and beer at their sessions. Um, but David Page, remember that guy? He's the guy who helped start the band with Jeff uh, and right. has has the the jazz drummer daddy. Um, he wrote the song, and he claims this is not about Rosanna Arquette. It's about a bunch of different girls he had relations with <laughs> at other times. It's, it's about other people. Of, I mean, not at the different girls. I, I don't That's think it's. Awesome. I don't think it's the same time. But yeah, he said this is about other girls that I've known. Um, but there's another Hollywood connection. Now, do you remember the video to this song at all? No, man, I couldn't I couldn't pick so that. I wouldn't know. There's no. kind of like this West Side Story vibe going on where there's like these gangs dancing or something. And Cynthia Rhodes is is the Rosanna character, so she's in the video. And yeah. if you look in this video, so this is 83-ish. If you look in this video really closely, there's all these dancers. One of the dancers in in one of the lines long before his stint proving his dance moves as a Chippendale on SNL is Patrick Swayze. Oh my gosh. He's yeah, in dude. a Toto video. Oh my uh, gosh. I can't I can't wait to go back and watch, so, watch Swayze in, in the thing. So after this happens, this is where these dudes' bridges get big, right? And they start playing on Michael Jackson records and uh, doing all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, wow. The bass player leaves because he's like, this is becoming a full-time gig, man, and I've got a family and I don't know if I can handle it. And so this is where the third Percaro brother joins. So... Steve and Jeff invite their other brother and say, you come and play bass too. And then, then they make the soundtrack to Dune. <laughs> that's right. God, how um, did I forget that? Like, that's not, I've, man, I can't believe I haven't like put that in, in, at all front of mind here. They're, uh, they're remaking like, Dune, the movie, right? I mean, that's sure. Diddy yeah, Villeneuve has made that, and we're just waiting for it to get released finally after this pandemic. I just, I can't imagine, as much as I would like for it to happen, that Toto will be soundtracking that. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. No. What if it's like uh, Rob Zombie? <laughs> this is this is the main title from Dune by Toto. Wow. Like what it points out is that these dudes knew their way around a recording studio, right? 
Like, and that's what I think is so fascinating to your point already about the fact that they've kind of become forgotten is that these guys were prolific and very well educated and put out the soundtrack to Dune. Oh, you know, not very long after they put out Rosanna and Africa. Did they did they produce their own music or did they they had an outside guy? I believe they had an outside guy. Yeah, I didn't because you would know whether one of them won a uh, Grammy for being the producer too. Right, so someone right. else. Right. Um. So yeah, and I forget who I believe he's in the notes somewhere, but I forget I forget what his yeah. name is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um. Uh, okay. It's interesting. It's interesting. The uh, when you when you bring Dune back in the conversation, it changes. It changes the whole character or the artist itself when you try to think about their work because that movie, it's epic. I mean, it's dark and weird. And and it really shows the depth of what they can do. So I think this is a great spot. You've set it up to, to ask the question, which is why is it that Toto is not in a higher pantheon of bands? I mean, you already yeah, asked me right. that, right? You said, like, people kind of put them next to, who'd you say, BTO? And I mean, I kind of think of them next to Mr. Mister and, and bands like that, right? But but, but Mr. Mister for me is, see, it's just time, because it's just time period. Like, I think about Toto as classic rock, and then I think about Mr. Mister is something I heard when I was, like, a younger kid. So it's like... Well, listen, man, you're, Richard Page is about to enter this story. So I, no way. I have a theory about why <laughs> Toto is not in the higher pantheon of bands, and it all has to do with their lead singer troubles. If you, There are very few bands that recover from lead singer troubles. Um, there's been some really out, you know, outstanding exceptions, but I think they're exceptions. You don't see it as the rule very often that a band survives that, right? There's ACDC, there's Journey in a weird kind of, you know, bifurcated way where they have this yeah. second part of their career with different singers. But this is what happens to them. So Bobby is still facing lead, still facing legal troubles after all of this, right? Even after the Dune area. And he finally ends up like being fired because he's just become so hard to work with. And so they actually go, the guys in Toto go t- get Richard Page and they beg him to leave Mr. Mister. This is totally wow. true. Wow. I can't believe this is a thing. And he says no. And so they, <laughs> this is after Rosanna. And he says no. They hired this guy. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. <laughs> he wanted to make that record. Okay, go ahead. So they hire this guy, Fergie Fredrickson. And they make another album, and they tour with them. I know, it's His hilarious. Name. What? Fer- Fergie Fred- Fredrickson. <laughs> they, de- they decide he sucks. And then they hire a guy named Joseph Williams. Joseph Williams is the son of legendary film composer John Williams. <laughs> Star Wars John Williams. His son is the new singer in Toto at this point. So then they, I mean, that doesn't last super long. There's some drugs involved. They eventually fire him and they hire the South African guy. And he's flamboyant and hard to get along with. So they fire him after a tour. So I, I, oh my, I lose oh my count. Gosh. I lose count. This all happens before 1990. And, and while they hire, so they go on this tour. And Oh, wow. Okay, so. Well, let's do the timeline thing. So 84, 83, 84 is when Toto 4 happens. Yeah. And then before 1990, 
all of that other stuff. So in six years, they go through like Gosh. whatever that is, four, five, six singers. And That's unbelievable. Then they find out during, like while they're firing the South African guy, they find out that Bobby Kimball, the guy with the drug problem who they fired, the first singer, is touring with a random backing band and booking himself as Toto. Oh, no way. <laughs> He's, I, I, I love those stories no matter how awful they are they really, really are bad do. they really are bad yeah i and i love hedvig and the angry inch the that movie and play about that too but going around and parading around pretending you're the other band like rat that just happened to rat and those guys are apparently getting back along but imagine there's two rats yeah <laughs> yeah you really want to know which rat you're getting that is true yeah so so it's 1990 so so he has a, he's he's touring around pretending he's toto so, so what's th- their next move their next move is promoting from within i mean this is like the classic corporate thing like you've tried 17 vice presidents and they all suck i don't care that they came from johnson and johnson so they bring steve lukather and they're like bro just sing just sing everything and he has more or less been the singer for the rest of the time like uh, the other guys cycle back in and you can go look at one of those confusing charts on wikipedia where it shows you like the different eras and who comes in and out of the band. But Steve Lukather has been, he's kind of an original member. Like he's not Jeff or David, but he's like the third guy into the band. And he's still, when they play out is typically involved. Um, He's coming in out a couple times, but he's mostly there. So he's kind of the original guy anymore, but we just got to 1990. Steve Lukather takes us over vocals. And now let's get to August 5th, 1992, because that's the day in question to get us to where we started, which is this spinal tap clip, right? Oh my gosh. So we're here and we're 92. 1992 okay. initial news reports state on August 5th, 1992, that Jeff Porcaro, 38 years old, happens to be my age uh, today, not then uh, died while doing yard work at his house in hidden Hills, California. He was apparently spraying two bottles of pesticide in his bug-ridden yard, and shortly afterwards was laying on the couch complaining to his wife that he couldn't move some of his limbs. And No. An ambulance arrives and takes the drummer to the hospital, and he dies. The New York Times publishes a piece on August 7, 1992, citing an L.A. coroner spokesperson claiming that Procaro died of a heart attack that was due to an allergic reaction from inhaling pesticide. Oh. Oh my gosh. So, so. What a tragedy. On, that sucks. For the Rock and Roll Bedtime story, you know, court here, if this is where we stop, if we stop with an official New York Times piece as evidence, it is indisputably true that Jeff Percaro died in a tragic gardening accident, which is yeah. insane. Which makes the spinal tap joke never funny again for me. But (laughs) here's where it gets more complicated. Weeks after the official news came out of Picard's death, the L.A. coroner released an official report and the cause of death had been changed. The coroner revealed that the small trace amounts, that there were small trace amounts of coke found in the drummer's body and his cause of death was changed to a hardening of the arteries due to prolonged drug use. Now, we know cocaine was rampant in that band. Did you hear all my stories about the lead singers? Um, An autopsy that was done claimed that Percaro had a serious heart problem that hadn't been diagnosed and no trace amounts of pesticide were found on his body. Now, the news of the drug use made the band mad, right? They were very upset at the media disrespecting their guy. Um, and Steve Lukather said, uh, 
quote, it was irresponsible journalism. They found one one hundredth of a microgram of coke in Jeff's blood. That's like two crystals on an effing matchstick. That ain't going to give somebody a heart attack, believe me. The rest of us were doing 100 times more than that, and we all lived to tell the tale. That, that does seem yeah. to be true. Uh, Lugather, right. for his part, claimed that the drummer died due to that undiagnosed heart condition and the fact that he was a lifelong smoker, despite the fact that no reference was made to this in the coroner's report. So those who were close to Picaro would come out and claim that the drummer hadn't abused cocaine for years and years and years. So... Depending on how you parse out that information, is it true? Is it not true? He definitely died after being in his garden and using some pesticides. Were there probably complications that led to it? Yes, but it was a bit of a tragic gardening accident. Oh, what an amazing story. I mean, well, and and like I learned so much about Toto. I can't wait to go listen to more Toto and go listen... I'm going to make, how about I, I I can make a playlist for everybody of songs that he, that Jeff's played on. That sounds like that'd be fun. Oh yeah, do everybody. that. Let's do that. Let's That's put those easy. in the show notes. And, and I mean, let's wrap it up here. What happens to Toto? That's the million dollar question, right? So yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's 96. Is that right? 92, 92, 92. And they're okay. now facing the prospect of having to do a tour without Jeff. And they, and they basically decide they want to break up, but Jeff Percaro's family is really insistent that the band continue. Um, and so the band contacts Simon Phillips and he replaces Jeff Percaro. And on December 14th, 1992, this happened in August in December, the tribute to Jeff Percaro concert was held at universal cities, universal amphitheater and performers include Don Henley, Eddie Van Halen, Donald Fagan, Walter Becker, Boz Skaggs, James Newton, Howard, Michael McDonald, Richard Marks. There he is again. And special guest George Harrison and they performed wow. various Toto songs along with the four remaining members of Toto. How'd they get a Beatle? Holy cow. And then Toto limps along to this day. There have been a, a few hiatuses, but as recently as October 2020, it was announced that Steve Lukather and Joseph Williams would return to touring under the band name. So Joseph Williams, John Williams' son, is back with Steve Lukather. Oh. Dun, 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 dun. I want to hear his pipes too, man. That's that's that'll be interesting. This worldwide tour in 2021 that they're supposedly going to launch, and I, I've got to look to see if we've got real dates. They're going to call it the Dogs, D O G Z of Oz tour. Get it, Toto? <laughs> they're really doubling down on. No, no, no. We were named after the dog. Uh, I mean, absolutely amazing to spend some, I mean, this is, this is all I got to say. Spend some time with Toto's discography. You owe it to yourself. I, I, I can't believe that I'm going to now stay up late instead of going to bed <laughs> on a, on a fricking Tuesday watching, watching Toto videos. You're, hey, uh, this show, uh, is about to be brought to you by uh, positivegrid.com slash spark the Toto setting. <laughs> the Toto setting. <laughs> uh, okay, if you want to get involved in the show, if you've got a comment about Toto or your favorite Toto song, or if you want us to investigate okay. a rock and roll rumor that you've heard, uh, you can do that by sending an email to wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Check out the website, wearethestoryguys.com. We're getting some things cleaned up and put up there, including video clips from some of the recent episodes. If you want to see our ugly faces instead of just listen to us, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but... You're welcome. Uh, you can do it. And um, in the meantime, until next time, what do they keep doing, Mark? Keep telling stories. Da, da, Hold the da, line. Da, da. Your love is always on time. Da, ga, 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 ga. Your love is always on time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.